realizing how different the sports market is. Uh, right. So in the Netherlands, we have uh, by far football is the first sport. Then there's a lot of nothing. Then there's field hockey, uh, right. which we're good at. Then there's yeah. a lot of nothing. And then there comes like a, an array of Olympic sports, uh, but also tennis. And sure. so our market is very focused on only a couple of sports. And in Australia, that was completely different. There was so much. Um... Hi, everyone, and welcome back to the Spring World Podcast. And so today I'm here with Boss. And Boss, first of all, thanks, thanks for taking the time. It's good to have you here. And how, how's everything going? Oh, good. Uh, this time of year, that, uh, it's getting colder outside. So apart from that, I'm good. Thank you. And yeah. thanks for inviting me. Well, I mean, like I know you're going or have been in uh, in Sevilla, depending on when <laughs> this is launched. But but at least we're going to some 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 warmer areas soon, you know. So I'm sure that's, that's gonna... true. Keep up hope. <laughs> For sure. Well, first of all, it's a pleasure having you here, and obviously, we're gonna dive a little bit into your background, your your journey in the sport industry, a little bit about the you know the stuff that you're working on right now in fan engagement, a lot of cool stuff there, of course, and. And, and to kind of like begin, why don't you talk a little bit about, you know, how your journey in sports should begin, a little bit about, you know, the current roles that you have now, and then we'll we'll go a little bit from there. Sure. So uh, brings me back all the way to, say, 2007 is where I had to, at some point you get in your life where you have to decide what am I going to study. So right. for me, it was definitely something in economics because that's broad. Yeah. Uh, or uh, commercial economics, but um, I didn't want to go into the the, the yeah the, the really boring area of that. So I decided right. to go for sport, commercial sports economics. Yeah, um, which is a fascinating field, and I already liked sports, and I already had a season ticket uh, uh, for Ajax, so I was already hooked on the whole sports story, of course. And yeah. the business side of sports is, yeah, as we all know, and listeners also know, fascinating very quickly changing and this was back in 2007 so i did a program which lasted until 2012 with some uh, some internships in sports media nice. then i went to australia because i had a teacher oh. that always told me he went there once and he said uh, in class always guys if you get the opportunity go to australia it's the mecca of sports and that kind of got stuck in my head so that was indeed yeah. something that i was thinking you know what i'm finishing my program, what to do next. Uh, the crisis, the Euro crisis was still hitting the market hard. So mm -hmm. very limited job opportunities as we know that the sports industry is very much following the, um, yeah, the ups and downs of, of macroeconomics, which right. we sometimes tend to forget, but we're just a product of macroeconomics. So yeah. Um, so yeah, I didn't see my chances very positive. So I thought, hey, Euro crisis, where to go to a non-Euro country. So that was Australia, went there, uh, stayed there for more than a year, worked there in, uh, at the Australian Open, uh, nice. at the Melbourne Sports and Aquatic Center, uh, in Champions Trophy, field hockey, um, very popular sport in the Netherlands, a few other countries, and Australia. So, um, but that was fascinating, learned a lot, really learned how to, yeah, what fan engagement is, basically. That yeah. was at a conference, so that's why I like conferences like the one that we're going to or if you were listening to this later have just have been to yeah um, which was about achieving bigger crowds and it was interesting because i had um 
as a fan, I just said it as well. I had a season ticket for Ajax. I was always a bit frustrated uh, understanding what I'm studying, but not seeing it being applied to uh, to my experience inside the right. stadium. So I was literally constantly reflecting on, okay, I study yeah. about customer experience, yet I go to the stadium and it's just a cold, you get searched, you get pushed through, there's nothing going on, seats are right. dirty, etc. So I thought, hey, this should change. And this is something that I've, my eyes got opened on this conference, mm-hmm. uh, which was indeed about where Manchester City was reviewing uh, their fan experience. They were doing surveys, which I've never heard about that football clubs were doing that, were actually caring about yeah. the fans. And that's where mm-hmm. I met the god of fan engagement, uh, Mark Redley, with the fan experience company. That's where I met him for the first time, and that completely blew my mind. I was thinking, hey, sponsorships is not what I'm interested in uh, within sports marketing, but this mm-hmm. fan engagement layer is something that I do uh, really like and am passionate about. So, yeah. That's kind of where I got, um, yeah. That's kind of where I got uh, into the into the sports nice. slash fan engagement domain. Yeah. Fast forward a bit, uh, then came back to from Australia. Did my own consulting for two years full time. Then I decided I kind of noticed that the market was not ready still, so I went back to university for two years. Went to Azad Alkmaar, um, and from there everything really started rolling. Right. No, I mean, like, it's, it's a very fascinating uh, journey. And, and I mean, like you mentioned, Australia, like, kind of being a very, very big factor and obviously learning that before you went there too. Like, speaking about uh, Australia, like, where were, what was, I guess, one of the uh, the key differentiating factors or, or something that you really noticed there that was like, okay, the, the, this just proves proves the point of your your professor and, and, and all the insights you were looking for. Like, what were some things that stand, stood out for you there? Um, realizing how different the sports market is. Uh, right. So in the Netherlands, we have uh, by far football is the first sport. Then there's a lot of nothing. Then there's field hockey, uh, right. which we're good at. Then there's yeah. a lot of nothing. And then there comes like a, an array of Olympic sports, uh, but also tennis. And sure. so our market is very focused on only a couple of sports. And in Australia, that was completely different. There was so much, uh, so much supply of different sports, both on uh, on a, um, uh, as a as an athlete, uh, amateur athlete, yeah. so which you could do yourself, uh, but also from a professional side. So you could go to the tennis, you could go to footy, you could go to NRL, you could go to mm-hmm. rugby. There was so much, uh, yeah, so much supply, and. Right. All of them were attracting, I didn't even mention football yet. Of course, there was football. Yeah. So there was so much going on. And and this this really fascinated me because here I really got to see that there is a pattern of seasonality in sports. And uh, how competitive the market is for fan attention. So there's mm-hmm. fans that have various sports that they like. In the Netherlands, we like or football or field hockey. It's not common. It's not common to see yeah. a combination of those in yeah. Australia, completely different. You could easily like one sport and another sport and another sport and another sport. Right. One of the key differences and what what that has resulted into is that these sporting bodies really need to work uh, to get these fans inside the stadium. So mm. if your stadium atmosphere sucks, the stadium experience sucks, they don't come to your stadium, 
and it's not as if they will then support a different team uh, in this inside the same sport. It's just they, they won't show up and they will get there. They can can get their appetite from uh, from a different sporting code, different sport, mm. basketball, whatever. So right. that's what really fascinated me, and that's I think also what shows why those uh, those countries, also like the US, uh, yeah. are more developed because they have more. They're competing harder for fan attention hours. Right. No, and uh, it's, it's. I was just about to say, like that. That sounds extremely similar to the U.S. market. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> In the way exactly. it operates. Um, but uh, so yeah, that, that makes 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 total sense. And obviously, you mentioned you know uh, you work for like uh, us at Alfmad, uh, UEFA, and, and obviously some data companies as well. And mm-hmm. talking about like some some lessons you learn, you know, from from these roles that obviously they brought with you in. You know your current role, and obviously your fan engagement consultancy, which which is something that you're you know been working on for for many years as well. Yeah, um, yeah. So these are this started at AZ Alkmaar, where if you're in a small sized uh, football club, because they're they had like four people on uh, marketing, yeah, um, me included. There's many topics on the table that they simply do not have the time to pick up. So. I was lucky. I was fortunate enough that a position became available, but also that there was um, sort of a ch- cherry picking moment happening. Yeah. So, reshuffling of of, um, of of responsibilities, and I picked up the fan engagement part, but the data part was also um, important. Now, it wasn't my first preference, but working under a CEO that is very closely connected to Billy B. You can understand there was a high demand for uh, to work with data and to have a more data-driven approach. So, and that's something the club didn't have at all at that time. So I started um, going uh, assessing inside of the organization. Okay, what do we want to do with data? How can we uh, improve the current business processes? What are problems that we cannot solve because we don't have the data? Right. Going out to the market, talking to suppliers, getting a supplier aboard. And then starting the entire process. And on the same time, parallel to that, my fan engagement, um, uh, my uh, my other responsibility was fan engagement. So I was improving the stadium experience and trying to put on like uh, um, the uh, improved family stand and stuff. Mm-hmm. And oh, in the course of that job, those two parallel lines grew closer and closer together. Right. I as as I was learning from the CRM side more about the fans, I was also learning how I could improve that fan engagement part. For example, mm-hmm. we were always focusing on the family section, yeah, and having all the kids activities there. Where from the data side, the CRM side, I could see that there were just amount of, just the same amount of kids on a non-family uh, stand. So that's where we started to to link these two, understanding right. that hey, if we do fan engagement uh, activities specifically for families, we shouldn't do it before the concourse, uh, before you enter the stadium, uh, after you enter the stadium, but before you enter the stadium. So it would also be accessible to other kids that come to the stadium because there are plenty. So these were kind mm-hmm. of choices that data influenced fan engagement. And that's sort of what I found that was also lacking up until that point inside the market, because fan engagement was mostly about stadium experience right. and was very fluffy. So it was a lot of opinion-based 
presentations and opinion-based improvements inside uh, football organizations. And of course, everyone was sharing their win stories on, on Twitter and LinkedIn. So it looked nice and you would start to copy from each other, but it was very much dependent also on senior buy-in. So CEO buy-in on, do you want to improve on fan engagement or not? And adding that layer of data to it, we were able to see based on surveys, for example, hey, what is lacking in the fan experience on the grandstand versus two of the short stands? Where can we improve on? And yeah. that helped us to be the, the data-driven information that we needed to improve the fan experience and to measure did it improve and uh, how much and what else can we pick up? So mm-hmm. in that job, they kind of got together and that's where I also grew into the area of, hey, data is really, really, really helpful source of information. Next, two sources of information of experience from other clubs next to my own um, experience from studies. So it, it, it added a lot of um it added a lot of information. It did not replace it. It, it was just right. an extra source. Yeah, no, I, I think it's I think it touches upon like you know something that had been like a big discussion, I guess, in a sense for 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 for, for a few years now too. It's like we have all this data, right, and and like getting more and more data every time. But but how do we utilize it, right? Like at the end of the day, it just comes down comes down to like how do you extract it and how do you you know make sure that the data is is obviously valuable and that you can actually you know implement, you know, whether that's new strategies or initiatives in order to, you know, support what the data is showing. And and I think that's a very nice way of how you express kind of like, okay, I'm working on, on data side and then also like on the, the fan engagement. And then you kind of like see how it all kind of like just mix and match and has to exactly. work together, you know, and that's a very key thing that, 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 you know, especially those that are, you know, and it tends to be a lot of young people, you know, listening to the podcast or part of the Spartan yeah. community that, that wants to be part of marketing, right? And yeah. they talk about marketing is like, oh, I want to work with marketing. And then you just kind of neglect some key factors in it. And perhaps, you know, something to think about. It's like, okay, if you want to really understand marketing, also start looking at the data and, and start kind of, you know, working your way towards that to the top of the pyramid if we kind of exactly that reference exactly i think that marketing analytics is now one of the main analytics areas and within yeah. marketing analytics it's not all just uh seo or sea it's more it's more than that it's also mm-hmm. understanding who your customers are where the, where uh how their churn patterns patterns right. go um, it's about uh, yeah understanding where your fans sit inside the stadium. So it goes beyond just the the, the web analytics. Yeah. Sometimes yeah. those get uh, those are seen as a synonym, but I disagree. I think marketing analytics goes way beyond mm-hmm. uh, the web analytics, and it it goes into understanding who your customers are and how they behave. Right. So, so talk a little bit about the, the consultancy, the fan engagement consultancy. Like what are some ways that you're working with sports organizations? And I mean, like if you could share briefly like a few cases or examples, I think that would be really great for, for the audience. Yeah, to, sure. To, to so, yeah, sure. So I worked for a couple of uh, organizations uh, based on my fan engagement consulting, which really kicked off after my work in uh in uh, at az because then you, i really got the practical experience before that it was more a personal branding right thing. yeah uh, so i had a website published a lot of uh, articles around it and it was more my view on the topic 
yeah. after AZ, it really kicked off uh, with a lot of projects for UEFA, for example. So we went to a couple of smaller national associations where we were doing an assessment on how yeah. can they improve on their their social media analytics or how can they improve on their email marketing based on CRM data. Right. So I've um, done a couple of projects for UEFA. Um, I've done uh, a lot of presentations and workshops for leagues. So uh, yeah, the, the bigger leagues inside of Europe, uh, I've helped with, but also clubs. So uh, I've most recently, I've been working for a club in Scotland to get also a CRM uh, system installed. Fascinating club, just not having that data layer ready yet. So that was a very interesting uh, interesting project. But before that, I've also worked for a club in Belgium, setting up a fan strategy. Okay. So really on, on how can we improve our fan approach in the long term, rather mm. than going from game day to game day or from year to year, how yeah. can you really try to roll out and where do you, how do you expand your database to search right. which areas around the key city that you have uh, are very densely populated but you don't have many fans in your database yet mm -hmm. so can you activate uh, events there to get these people in your in your database right. uh, other ones where are you where's your data your fan base highly present plus is a dense uh, densely populated area could you do something to activate them there as well to make sure they re they uh, remain a fan? So it's a different approach. These are fan strategy. Uh, under this fan strategy was a lot of uh, fan acquisition, but also fan retention uh, right. as key elements. Yeah, no, I mean, like makes make, makes total sense, and and it's you know good to see as well. And, and it's interesting, I guess, for you too to kind of go to these you know different leagues, different clubs, like in different different countries and I guess like just just a follow-up on that like what have been I mean like are there any uh how, how can I say similarities and and what are some I, I guess big differences that you've seen like comparing like you know for instance like Belgium and and and, and Scotland which is something you recently worked on to kind of see yeah. like, I, I know mark, market markets are, are are different and they tend to kind of you know uh you know uh have some some differentiating factors but at the same time yeah. like i'm sure you find like some similarities in the gaps that are that are lacking well what i found is indeed there are similarities and this is something that um luckily there's there are more sil similarities in the sports domain than we tend to acknowledge or realize right so these were two non-top uh teams yeah which is interesting because they have by nature, a um, yeah less superior fan base. Ajax mm -hmm. here, for example, is by far has the biggest fan base. That was always even before mm -hmm. their massive Champions League uh, following uh, Champions League round a few years ago. Yeah, they've always been the biggest club in the Netherlands. So there, you would say it, it's quite easy to get attract new fans. But how do you do this for the layer under there? And often they are more geographically bound. Mm -hmm. So this club is Scotland as well. Um, it was not in Glasgow, and it was very much, you could tell that uh, just diving into the database, you could tell that it was very much closer um, around where the stadium was, right? right? So this is, right. but there's still room for expansion instead of uh, taking the, the, the attitude of, yeah, but we have big clubs uh, uh, in Glasgow, so why would fans be, become fans of us? 
I'm now getting into the, the Mark Bradley area, but yeah, yeah, yeah. because you offer something different. Right. You do not offer sportive success. So there's a different reason why fans get attracted to you as a club. Mm. It could be the community feel, which we're all, everyone's always constantly lo looking for to, to, uh, to strengthen their social ties, to connect, to build new ties. And uh, mm. football clubs can facilitate that. So, and that's something that I really like to do when I work with clubs to help them understand what do your fans want? What are they searching for? Mm. Why do you come to the stadium? These are, this is part of a standard assessment that I do right. with clubs. Right. Asking the fans, why do you come to the stadium? And the answers are very interesting often. Often they say, hey, yes, this, this, is, this season ticket has been passed on for generations in my family, yeah. or I just became, uh, just became a season ticket uh, holder because my boyfriend has uh, ha had one and he always wanted me to bring along. And he says that it's safe now for women, those kind of things. So yeah. it's, yeah. it's very interesting to understand better as a club. Why do I do this? And uh, even further, walking the fan walk uh, is even better. So actually not getting into your suit and your fancy uh, hospitality areas, uh, but actually walking the fan walk. What does it mean to have a thick jacket inside the stadium, to walk from the city to the stadium, uh, to in the, the dying cold in winters, which you in Norway know even more about than I do. Yeah. So why what, how, how is that how's that experience and what are the the, the key elements that fans uh, meet along their fan journey that you could maybe soften or improve so it doesn't mean that you need to hang heaters inside your stadium yeah. but are there areas if it's windy inside the stadium and it's cold feels extra cold can you take yeah. away the windiness from the stadium which is something that we've been working on at az for example so mm. Yeah, no, I like the I like to work with smaller clothes. Yeah, I mean, like it's it's obviously you know very interesting the the factors that you bring up here and like literally what it comes down to at the end of the day is just understanding you know the fan the fan behavior and yeah. and again like the reasoning right be, behind why they're there and and perhaps also why they're not <laughs> showing why they yeah <laughs> exactly why you're not fan of of this big Scottish club and and you are of ours even though you live in this. Right. In Glasgow right. still. So uh, obviously, you know, I wanted to touch a little bit upon as well before we we, we wrap up here is is you, you've been obviously the last six years as well, been been guest lecturing at, at some top universities and business schools on, on fan engagement, CRM, business applied data science. And and I guess like, you know, just looking over the last few years, like what have been some major changes that you've seen and, and I guess some challenges in the field that that you have brought up in your classes. Uh, good question. I think that the fan engagement domain has been changing quite a bit since I've been in there. Uh, so again, 2012, it was a lot. When I just started, it was a lot about social media analytics, starting to understand um, who the fans are on socials and bringing all the content on those social platforms. Right. Everything was going to be was paid for by the clubs, was given away on the social channels, because that's where the fans are. Was right. Back then, the paradigm. Now we understand. Hey, wait a minute. We're only feeding Facebook and YouTube and the Google monsters <laughs> by giving away all the content that we yeah. paid for and not getting anything in return because it's making their system work better. So of course they were just sitting by, sitting back uh, with a bucket of popcorn and just 
understanding what clubs were doing, which clubs were not. So now the paradigm has shifted. Hey, wait a minute. We need to have the fans on our platforms. They right. need to enter the website of the club or of the league or um, the, the association as quick as possible because then we are in control of what happens and we mm-hmm. understand what's gonna what uh, what the fan behavior is like and this is that mm-hmm. is why you see this massive shift towards content mm-hmm. on they jumped the bandwagon of Netflix for example where non-linear content was becoming far more important but also so that the these organizations were able to understand what their those fans their fans were doing so that's yeah. why we have now for example FIFA plus better understanding what fans consume and FIFA then uh, can choose uh, a couple of uh, versions of how to monetize this make it a membership based or make it advertisement based so they're becoming more media outlets now this is standard stuff that you always hear on these conferences yeah. but if you really dive deeper into that that's that's the bigger trend that i see plus fan engagement has also um, been closer connected to sponsorships right. so sponsorships have turned into partnerships which yeah. I disagree on because partnerships are really both parties are delivering value. We're mm-hmm. now just relabeling them as partnerships where still the the relationship has remained the same. But you do right. see a change in uh, in the sports industry where the sponsors are starting to demand ROI. <laughs> and this is not all sponsors, but yeah. the bigger ones, the big telcos, they really start to reevaluate sports sponsorships. And mm-hmm. They want to understand, okay, who, what's their, what's inside their fan base? What are the conversion rates from the fan base towards their, these sponsorships? So these are key tra- two key trends that I discuss in these uh, in these lectures. Yeah, there's a couple more, but fan engagement has become more data driven, and therefore right. fan engagement has also branched out into different areas of under sports marketing. Yeah, no, it makes it makes total sense. There's always some trends that. Uh, that people need to keep an eye on, especially the the upcoming upcoming leaders. And talking about like just here uh, uh, to, to to wrap things up uh, with with the last question here, like if, if you wanted to provide like some some one, one or two tips, you know, for sports students out there, you know, kind of like looking to get their foot in the door, perhaps you know, interested in 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 those new trends, fan engagement, and and exploring this this aspect. Like, what what, what kind of tips would you give them? Um, first tip, what, uh, what I would recommend is try to stand out. So show your face on conferences, even if they are paid. See if you can bring up the budget. If not, there's often these major conferences have these student uh, special student discounts. Mm-hmm. Showing showing your face on conferences really helps because I've also understand that I've also understood that most of the business and hiring happens. At conferences, happens from personal relationships, not um, by waiting for websites to publish their uh, to publish their roles online, which is happening more often now as well. But um, that's that's the first thing I would recommend. Also, that's one way to stand out. So show yourself. Uh, another one would be to create content, have an opinion, and this is in in the Netherlands often frowned upon because it's a small market dominated by a very small uh, group of people so if you have a different opinion than the, than what's now be currently the popular opinion it's being pushed away already but mm. having your opinion and your own views i think is very important because 
if I would have stayed within, um, when I started in sports marketing with the same paradigm that they had back then, yeah, I would have been one of the others. Now I've still, yeah. I've then. 10, 15 years ago, I took the, 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 the fan engagement mindset and the market has grown towards that. So if I would have, had, would have not had a different opinion, the market would have never grown into my direction. It would have moved away from where I was. Mm. So it did, I think this is a popular saying in the US of uh, don't skate where the puck is now, but skate where the puck is going to be. <laughs> That's, I think, what's important as well. And it needs to be your passion. So don't do not work. Do not force yourself on a on a on a on a view that is not yours simply because you think it's going to market yourself well do work it from from an inside passion find what is your view well, how do you feel that sports should be uh, uh, experienced and um, push that out because right. i think that's that's more the it helps making the journey easier because there's a lot of unlogical decision making in sports and there's a lot of people that are far less good as your skill set and yet they do get the job so there's if you stay true to your own nature i think that's that's in life in general but also it applies to work in sports business industry that's going to help yeah no for sure i mean like that that's that's great that's great boss and uh with that, I mean, like, we're about to run out of time. So <laughs> I'd like to thank you, you know, so much for, for taking the time, you know, for sharing your, your insights, your your tips and, and some of the upcoming trends that obviously you guys that are listening, you know, need, need, need to keep an eye on. And, uh, and as always, you know, make sure to like the video, subscribe as well. So you get weekly tips, you know, from people like uh, Boss sharing, sharing their insights and, and, and experience with you so so check that out and of course you know a good place to start sharing content and your own opinions it is at sporting global so if you haven't already you know make sure to create a free user and you can connect with like-minded people find relevant jobs and of course find relevant programs and courses to help you succeed in the industry so with that boss you know thanks once again for taking the time and it's been a pleasure having you part of this thanks for having me thanks all right so i have one final thing before i wrap up so it's kind of like a podcast tradition that we do so i have to teach you a little bit norwegian before we wrap up <laughs> okay that's just part of it give it so, a go so with every video we do we always finish with vi snakkes which means see you later in norwegian so that's what you have to say vi snakkes there you go good job <laughs> you see. all right thank you so much boss we'll talk soon thank you bye-bye all right bye-bye